Welcome to the Seek Podcast. We are so glad you're here. I'm Erin Falbo, your host for this season. Each week, we're sharing content that dives into the heart of the gospel, who God is, who we are, and what it means to live in relationship with Him. We're excited to walk with you as you encounter the Lord. In this episode, Paul J. Kim shares from Scripture, the lives of the saints, and his own life about how God makes all things new. Our speaker this afternoon has impacted thousands of people of all ages in 48 states and in 16 countries over the past decade. Using his gifts of beatbox and great sense of humor, he has the ability to communicate the gospel in a way that is just engaging, entertaining, and truly life-changing. Please welcome to Seek 22, Paul J. Kim. Seek 22, make some noise. Have a nice day. So good to be here. This is my third Focus Conference. I love it. Any Catholics here by chance? Any Catholics? Some of you are like, oh no, I thought it was the Mormon Conference. Goodbye, everyone. You've been very kind. Listen, even if you're not Catholic, you're very welcome to be here. True story, I didn't like going to church growing up. I say it all the time. I went for two reasons, girls and donuts. True story. (laughs) I wasn't really excited to go to Mass on Sundays, but there was one practical reason which got me out of bed every Sunday, is that I was hyper-focused at the Our Father because I got to hold this really cute girl's hand. (laughs) Now, I have a couple pickup lines that I want to share with you, and and gentlemen, uh, use them at your own risk because they never worked. (laughs) Here's the first one. Hi, my name is Peace. Can I be with you? (laughs) Doesn't work. Doesn't work. Hey, you want to pray the rosary together? Because I'd like to be your joyful mystery for the next five decades. The Bible says, give drink to the thirsty and food to the hungry. How about I take you out for some dinner? It could work. Probably not. Dang, girl, I'm going to need Jesus to spit into my eyes because I'm blinded by your beauty. I don't know if that's very safe nowadays. Are you the sacrament of confirmation? Because you complete me. Like I said, they don't work, so don't do it. Like many of you, I went through the the whole process of of being a professional Catholic, right? I was baptized, confession, communion, confirmation, you name it. But here's a problem. I had no relationship with the person of Christ. See, rules without a relationship equals rebellion. And that's just a natural uh, feature of a lot of people's lives. It's very unfortunate, but maybe you've heard it before. I travel a lot, and in my travels, I sit next to very interesting people, And we get into the conversation of, hey, what do you do for work? I'm like, I'm a Catholic speaker. Oh, you're a Catholic speaker? I was raised Catholic. But you know what's coming next. But I no longer attend. I've since progressed into a higher state of being. I don't need organized religion in my life. I'm like, why'd you leave? It's completely disorganized. What are you talking about? (laughs) 
but seriously, it's, um, you know, out of all the excuses I've heard as to why people no longer practice their Catholic faith, the reason is quite simple. They never knew who Jesus was. And therein lies the problem. They knew things about Jesus, but they didn't know Jesus. And that was precisely where I was at in my faith. Now, it's not to say I didn't have an encounter with God, especially in high school, where my youth ministers, God bless them, they would take us to events where, um, you know, we got to experience just the, the fun and the beauty and the truth of our Catholic faith. I would even dare say that at a Steubenville conference growing up, I, I came to know that God was real and he had a plan for my life. But here was the problem. Shortly thereafter, I got into my dream school of UCLA. Now I was a pretty smart kid. I had a 4.3 weighted GPA. I had a 1420 out of a possible 1600 SAT score. And it's not because I'm Asian, it's because I'm intelligent. Stop stereotyping. <laughs> At any rate, I got into my dream school and my game plan wasn't to take my faith incredibly seriously. My game plan was to major in partying, okay? I can't say that I majored in it. I probably minored in it. Uh, my, <laughs> my GPA, my game wasn't that great. But I had enough of it to understand something. It was this incredibly beautiful letdown. And what I mean by that is what should have been some of the most young, dumb, carefree years of my life were actually marked with remorse. With this just, ugh, this this consistent feeling of, I know I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I know I'm playing this sort of like, one foot in, one foot out, you know, Catholic on Sundays, and for the rest of the week, I do my own thing. And I wasn't at peace, and I knew it very well. You know, the Catechism of the Catholic Church, number 1776, says, deep within his conscience, man discovers a law which he has not laid upon himself, but which he must obey its voice ever calling him to love and to do what is good and to avoid evil, sounds in his heart at the right moment. And that voice, I didn't want to hear it. I wanted to silence that voice, but it kept coming back. And like I said, it, what should have been some of these just carefree years, I realized that God was inviting me, and that was sort of a drag at the time. You see, I was involved in a relationship and it, looking back, it wasn't a very healthy relationship. I would say it was probably uh, somewhat of a toxic relationship. It got very physical very fast. And truth be told, every one of us, if we're honest with ourselves, if we examine our conscience, we all have a drug of choice, whether currently or in the past. And my drug of choice was sex and porn. That was my dirty little secret. That was what I did to take the edge off of the anxieties and the struggles I had in my life. And I just figured, yeah, I'll take care of it eventually. But I knew in my heart of hearts that it was that obstacle, it was that thing that I was placing before God. And ever since the garden, the devil has been tempting every human being to believe that what God has for us, it isn't as good as what the sin that we're currently involved with, the addiction of choice, what the world is offering us. It, how could what God is promising us be any better than these things which are giving me pleasure or joy in the moment? That is the primordial temptation. It's a temptation that Adam and Eve fell for when they had pretty much the greatest setup of all time in Hawaii or wherever they were geographically located. You have to ask Dr. Shree, I don't know exactly where the Garden of Eden was. I was trying to fill the emptiness in my life and silence my conscience, but Catholic guilt was really strong in me. But more than Catholic guilt, once again, it was the Lord. Revelation chapter 3, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. And if you let me in, I'll come and have a meal with you. 
Of course, like most people in 2022, random knockings at the door. Uh-uh. If it ain't my Amazon package, you gotta go. You know? And the Lord just, he kept knocking, and he was offering me this relationship of unconditional love, mercy, and joy. And I knew it. I had gotten a taste of it. But I was deferring on this invitation. But I decided one day, randomly, I said, you know what? I am going to do something about this. So I waited till my dorm mates left my dorm. I lived in a triple, which is a glorified sardine can. <laughs> After these smelly dudes left, I took out my rosary starter kit. Do you guys know what a rosary starter kit is? It's essentially the trifold pamphlet that teaches you how to pray and it has a glow-in-the-dark beads. That was the rosary starter kit. I took it out. And <laughs> prior to this moment, I thought the rosary was a medieval torture device meant to bore you into heaven. But someone actually taught me that it was um, a meditative prayer that was supposed to help you dive into the mystery. And um, I got it out of the package. <laughs> I knelt next to my bed and I started praying. And awkward things started happening. For the next 20 minutes, I felt more peace, joy, and purpose than I did from a, a month's worth of screwing around. And then stranger things started happening. I came back to it. The next day I prayed it. And then the next day I prayed it. And even weirder things started happening. There were a couple moments, and I can count it on one hand, where out of nowhere I started smelling roses. And it wasn't because I was positioned next to a rose bush or a lady with too much rose perfume. I didn't do drugs. So really, all the practical reasons for the fragrance of roses were eliminated. But as I knelt there in prayer and I smelled this, I smelled this otherworldly fragrance, it dawned on me. I put two and two together. Roses, rosary, <laughs> root word, rose. The mother of Jesus likes roses. She's here. <laughs> it freaked me out. It freaked me out. But in a good way. I was like, what? You know, like the cousin Elizabeth, or her cousin Elizabeth in the gospel. She's like, who am I that the mother of my Lord should come to me? I'm like, who am I? that the mother of my Lord should visit this bozo because <laughs> I didn't do anything to, to warrant this visitation. It wasn't a vision, but I knew that her presence was real. Without saying anything, the message was loud and clear. Paul, I am your mother. Everything that your faith is about is real. My son is real. His promises are real. My love for you is real. God's plan for you is real. Continue on this path. I'm like, yes, ma'am. So I kept praying the rosary. And, you know, the mother of Jesus has a real influence in all of our lives. In John chapter 2, it was the mother of God who noticed that the bride and the groom were out of wine. You know the story, the first miracle of Cana. And in a like manner, she noticed that I, her beloved child, who had been claimed for Christ, even as an infant when I was baptized as a Catholic, that I was walking around dead in sin, that I was on a one-way track to destruction through my own personal decisions and setbacks. And she had pity on me. And she told her son, Jesus, my child, Paul, the one you died for, save him, have mercy on him. And so this grace was being communicated to me. St. John Paul II says, the rosary mystically transports us to Mary's side as she is busy watching over the human growth of Christ in the home of Nazareth. This enables her to train us and mold us with the same care until Christ is fully formed in us. And that's what she was doing for me. She led me back to the sacrament of confession. And guys, up until this point, I didn't like going to confession. 
It's really embarrassing, but my first confession, I remember it like it was yesterday. I was in the second grade, and I knew that the priest was friends with my parents. So my game plan was, don't tell him. Don't tell him anything. Just make crap up. <laughs> it's terrible. I, I, my first confession was, was a sacrilege. I, I, I made sins up that I didn't even do to make myself sound better before the priest. And that was akin to me going to a doctor and I have some serious illness like cancer and I tell him, hey, my head itches, that's it. So I get head and shoulders and I leave and I'm still dying. But finally, in my college years, I said, enough is enough. I'm going to do this right. I sat in front of my computer and I typed out a page and a half of all the sins that I could remember since my childhood. Single space, Times New Roman, 12-point font. That's a lot of sins. Page and a half, are you kidding me? Okay, so I, I print out the paper, I, I, I stuff it in my pants, I, I, I delete the file like a good politician, and I'm on my way. <laughs> I'm on my way to the Newman Center. I track down the priest, I'm like, Father, can you hear my confession? He's like, sure. I sit down, I pull out the piece of paper, it's like a scroll unfolding down the street. I'm like, this is gonna be a long one, Father. Chapter one, infancy. For the next 20 minutes or 15, it felt like eternity. Who cares about the time? It was the most awkward reading session of my life. Where essentially I, I disclosed the most embarrassing, shameful things that I could humanly f do, and I did. And I completed my reading. Father looked at me. I thought he was going to berate me or tell me how crazy I was. But instead, he gave me encouragement. He uh, encouraged me for being there gave me some wise advice, and then he said those most beautiful words, I absolve you from your sins in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. A lifetime's worth of sins washed away in an instant by the blood of Jesus Christ. That is the gift of confession. I was set free. You know, St. Margaret Mary, uh, February is traditionally the month dedicated to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. And if you've ever seen a statue of Jesus with his heart superimposed, fear not, it's not a medical condition. It was him revealing his Sacred Heart, his love for humanity. He was sharing it with the church through Margaret Mary. And in these private apparitions, this private revelation, there are people who doubted her. And I mean, yeah, they should doubt her in a healthy way as they investigate and they make sure she's not just hallucinating or making this stuff up. But one priest approached her and said, Sister Margaret Mary, I want you to do this. The next time you see Jesus, I want you to ask him a question. What did I say in my last confession? She's like, sure, Father, I will. So a little while later, she has her private guest audience with Jesus, and she's able to meet the priest, and the priest says, so what did Jesus tell you? And Sister Margaret Mary said, Jesus told me that he forgot. He told me that he forgot. Isn't that wonderful? Does God suffer from amnesia? <laughs> no, the, the point of what Jesus conveyed to Sister Margaret Mary to give you this priest was that when God forgives, it's final. He's in the business of, of doing and accomplishing what he set out to do on the cross, which is to redeem us of our sins. You see, the world has a very particular way of sizing up and determining the value and worth of people, do they not? I mean, welcome to 2022 social media. It's a total crap storm, right? People are literally being canceled for things that they said and did like 15, 20 years ago. 
How is that sustainable? Because at a certain point, we're all going to go extinct like the dinosaurs. Because every single one of us has said or done things that we regret. Amen? It is, it, we have the capacity to say and do things that are dumb and regrettable and sinful. But Jesus is not like the world. Jesus perceives us in a different light. Oh, you were into porn? You're a pervert, the world says. Oh, you slept around? You're, you're dirty. Oh, you've been drunk and high? You're an addict. You're a drunk. Oh, that happened to you when you were growing up? You're damaged goods. You made that mistake in the past? You should be canceled. You went through what? You'll never recover. You're a statistic. You currently struggle with that issue? Uh, the world says you are your past. Your sins define you. You'll always be a victim because of what happened to you. This is the way the world operates. This is the way the world values people. And it's ironic, because even for celebrities who are at the height of attention and admiration, it's just one single thing, action, mistake that they make, and the world that once hailed them and lauded them will crucify them the next weekend. You see, no one is immune from this very worldly way of sizing up a person's value but it's very, very harmful. But God, he says, behold, I am making all things new. He says, my love and mercy define you. You're not a victim. You are a victor because of what I accomplished on the cross. Through my cross and resurrection, I set you free. I love that verse in the gospel where St. Peter, overwhelmed by this miracle that Christ performed in his boat, he says an honest prayer. He says, Lord, depart from me. I'm a sinful man, a.k.a. Lord, I got problems. I've done things. I am a hazard. I am a liability to whatever it is you're inviting me to do. So just go away. Do yourself a favor because I know what I am. And Jesus looks at him and doesn't just look at him. He, he, you know, God has this lens through which he looks. He says, before I created you, I knew you. I knit you inside your mother's womb. This is the lens through which God sees us from his eternal gaze, not just from this, this present moment where he sizes up all the things that we've done or haven't done. No, he sees the whole entirety of our life. And he said to Peter, do not be afraid. I will make you a fisher of men. You know the story, I'm gonna to get to that a little bit later, but the point is your failure, your sin, your struggle are not who you are. You have to separate it from who you are. We all have the tendency to fall into that sin, that bad habit, that issue, that baggage, that struggle, and we start getting hard on ourselves and we say, that's what I am. I'm a piece of, I'm a piece of work. How could God wanna work with this? Who am I to be at this kind of a conference? I'm a hypocrite. I struggle, I fall, I sin constantly. Who am I? What am I? God says, you're my child. God can use any failure for your good and my good and for his glory. So the key here is to bring it to him. You know, the devil, he, he, he's, been, he's been studying human beings for, for thousands of years. So he knows human beings pretty well. And he's a very astute chess player. He's very patient. And he knows our weaknesses, he knows our strengths, 
but he capitalizes on the weaknesses. But especially, his aim is to give us the courage to sin. It's to give us the courage to sin. And then we sin, and then what happens? He gets in our face, and he places so much shame in our minds and our hearts that we avoid repenting and going to the Lord. But the Holy Spirit is different. He's the exact opposite. He places a healthy level of shame in our hearts to recognize this isn't the way. But then he gives us the courage to have confidence in the mercy of God. This is the difference. God can use any failure for your good if you bring it to him. Repent and believe in his merciful love. Pope Francis said it well. It is not God who grows tired of forgiving us. It is we who grow tired of asking for forgiveness. Failure is not final unless you choose to give up. Let me say that again. Failure in the spiritual life is not final unless you give up, unless you despair. And that was the problem of Judas, was it not? I mean, if you think about it, yeah, Judas betrayed him, but so did St. Peter. But the difference there was that Judas despaired. He gave up. He finalized his shame. But Peter had enough sense to hold on. He repented. And his story, the rest of his story is beautiful. We are not so powerful that our mistakes and failures can undo God's perfect plan from unfolding in our lives. Let me say that again. We are not so powerful that our mistakes and failures can undo God's perfect plan for our lives from unfolding. Fear not. You're not that powerful. You might think you are. You might, that, you might think that that sin has now finalized the deal and you are your sin. But in the words of my great hero, St. John Paul II, he says, we are not the sum of our failures. We are the sum of the Father's great love for us. That's the difference. St. Francis de Sales, the great spiritual director, said, be patient with everyone, but above all with yourself. I mean, do not be disheartened by your imperfections, but always rise up with fresh courage all profitable correction comes from a calm and peaceful mind. I love that. Be patient with everyone, but above all, with yourself. Now, to dis I want to make a distinction here. And there's a difference, obviously, between hypocrisy that is just chosen and, and willfully chosen and uh, an individual who is, who is trying his or her best to begin again. There is a difference. So for those who are trying to live this double life and are doing it intentionally, there are severe warnings in Scripture about that. But to those who are actively trying but struggle in their hearts and in their lives to do what is right, the Lord's mercy is always available. Now, brothers and sisters, there are a multitude of people in Scripture who, like you, had internal and external setbacks in their lives. And this is really important for us to understand. Rahab prostituted herself. Moses murdered a man. Joseph was trafficked into slavery. David committed adultery, then had the husband of the woman killed. I mean, this is Dr. Phil status. This is Dateline. Elijah had suicidal thoughts. Job lost his family and everything he owned. Mary Magdalene was possessed by seven demons. Okay? Paul arrested and killed Christians, and Lazarus was dead and rotting away in a tomb. Seems like pretty serious things that would discount and maybe cancel each and every one of them. And yet God never gave up. Their stories and their outcomes were far different. Now, some of these setbacks were personal sins and failures. It's true. Some of these setbacks were trials that they underwent, which were completely out of their control. 
But God in his faithfulness didn't allow any of these things to be the final verdict in the lives of these ancestors in faith. What is your setback? What is your setback? Think about this. Is it a certain sin you're wrestling with? Is it that same dang sin that you take to confession every time you go? Is it baggage that you're carrying that you've had since your childhood? Is it, is it fresh wounds that are appearing in your life that you were completely unaware of? Is it something that happened to you these past few years? It, what's your setback? What is it? Because God has this terribly wonderful habit. And like I said before, it's not our setbacks that define us, but God ironically uses the setbacks to help us grow into whatever our calling is. Because ironically, in his mercy, he can use all these things to even help us minister to people in the future. Like our story of God's mercy active in our lives can be an inspiration for people who haven't even heard the gospel yet. This is how good God is. I notice that at times the lives of the saints even, you know, we see their pictures in the chapel, we, we hear about them, we see them on socks and nice shirts, and we see saints everywhere. But we forget that sometimes their stories are highly romanticized. These are people like you and me who had names and faces, good days and bad days, and they went to confession just like you and me. I've talked about St. Peter, angry, temp temperamental, compulsive, lack of follow-through, denied the Lord three times. Hmm? but the Holy Spirit helped him to fulfill his destiny as first pope and martyr for Christ. St. Therese, any fans of St. Therese? I mean, come on, right? She's like, she's like a favorite. Did you know she struggled with crippling anxiety? Do you know she struggled with scrupulosity where she saw sin where there was no sin and it, it literally paralyzed her in her spiritual life? Did you know that she suffered from severe depression? Do you know that during her terminal battle with tuberculosis, she was even tempted at one point to kill herself by overdosing on pills? Did you know this? Doesn't sound very romantic. But St. Therese was given the grace to persevere, to push through these trials and these setbacks in her life. So much so that in her diary, story of a soul, God illustrates the fact that while, yeah, she was probably holier than a lot of us, she still had these real-world problems that could have been the final mark on her life, but instead, God carried her through. Maybe you've heard of St. John Paul II, who I mentioned earlier. This guy's life is so epic. If you don't know about his life, just, just read about him. He's so inspiring. His mother died when he was nine. His older brother died when he was 12. His father died when he was 20. He was completely orphaned in life as a 20-year-old. Now, you may have lost people in these past few years. I know it's, it's been a tough time for a lot of folks, maybe even prior to that. Tragedy strikes, whether it's deserving or not. It's just a, it's a feature of life. Death is real. And if anyone had a reason to be angry with God and bitter at life, it was John Paul II. He could have been like, God, who are you? You took everyone who I love away from me. What are you doing? Why would you do this to me? Why would you punish me in this way? And then to make matters worse, when his father died, the Nazis had invaded his country. I mean, we're talking about just bleakness. This is just like cause for despair at every level. 
but the faith that his parents instilled into his heart. The seeds of faith and hope that were planted into his life helped him to move forward. He found the courage to hold on to hope. He he joined the underground seminary under the Nazi occupation. He went to an underground seminary the year after his father passed away. The rest of the story, I'm going to fast forward a bit. He became bishop. He's elevated to a cardinal. He's elected pope. He almost single-handedly helped defeat communism in his native Poland. He traveled to 129 countries. He inspired and gave hope to billions of Catholics. He carried his illness of Parkinson's disease with dignity till his death. He was canonized a saint and now intercedes on our behalf from heaven. Do not be afraid. Mission accomplished. You see, the Word of God tells us that we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. And these witnesses remind us that like us, they had setbacks. Like us, they struggled with sin. But if you continue that verse, it says, so we must shake off. We must literally shake off the sin that tries to bind itself to us, holding on to the hope that we too are called to eternal life. Brothers and sisters, years ago when my conversion, my initial conversion started in college, I could not have the sense of foresight to imagine that this is what God would have for me. I'm sure if you go back and somehow you found out people who who knew me and you tell them what I'm doing now, they probably laugh and for good reason. I wouldn't blame them for that. But you see, with all of the baggage and the problems, God is still using these things to be glorified in me. I've been, speak, I've been speaking full-time for the last decade. I've had a front-row seat in witnessing God at work transforming lives all around the world. And this isn't some sort of flex. This is me flexing on God, who's able to accomplish, and this is from Ephesians chapter 3, now to him who is able to immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. He is able to immeasurably accomplish, accomplish more. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. God is faithful. I'm still at work, I'm still a work in progress, and so are you. And until the day we die, it will be the same story. But it will be the story of God's mercy taking all of these elements in our life, good and bad, and bringing about a great and beautiful good from it. Some people ask me, Paul, did you always want to be a Catholic speaker? And obviously you know the answer now. Heck no. One of the earliest moments I had in church was, uh, I think I was seven, and mass ended, and I saw that the podium mic was still on. So I said, it's my time. (laughs) I crawled up to the sanctuary. You know, I dodged all the ladies and the sacristans, and I I came up to the podium, and I'm like, and I went, And these appalled adults were like, get, get down from here. But I believe it was at that moment that God stared at me from the tabernacle and said, hey, Paul, you think you're funny, don't you? You got jokes, huh? Well, I'm funnier. <laughs> Watch what I do with your life. And here I am. Dun, 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 dun. Hey. Brothers and sisters, God is truly good. Every saint has a past. Every sinner has a future. 
Obstacles don't prevent you from your calling. They prepare you for it. But dig deep. Don't lose hope. Begin again. Trust that the Lord's mercy endures forever. Jeremiah 29, 11, you know it. I know well the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans not to harm you, but to prosper you. Plans for a future and a hope. You are not defined by your sins. You're not defined by your setbacks. You're not defined by the the terrible things that happen to you. No. You're defined by God's great love for you. Amen? Amen. Amen. Much love, y'all. Have a great day. Thanks for listening, friends. To hear more content from speakers like this, join us for Seek 24 in St. Louis, January 1st through the 5th. Visit seek.focus.org to learn more.